0: Listening to the iHeart Radio Talk Network, and this is the Evan Solomon Show.
1: All right, happy Wednesday, everybody! How's it going in the beautiful country, coast to coast to coast, and a June coming, entering in the season of the summer scandal, where scandals. Break. Cooked up by the hot sun on the sidewalk. We'll talk about that. Here's some things that we will debate today. Should you have to. If you're of a certain religion. Swear an oath to the queen. To practice law. In Alberta you have to. But we're going to meet a young lawyer. who Who says I don't want to do it. And he's suing. He's going to make the argument. We'll debate it. It's really interesting. Really interesting. Then we're going to. Canada day is coming and guess what we're not just going to talk about the convoys we're going to talk about someone who wants to ban fireworks because they're bad like everything's bad really yeah apparently so she's got the data that you should have a laser show instead of a fireworks show me team firework love fireworks love them all the time my wife by the way hates them I love fireworks War Room's in town, and the War Room's going to dig into a lot. They have a, um, they've got a basically a sirloin steak worth of material to eat into. So it's going to be a heavy, heavy, tasty, delicious lunch. Then we're going to get into what's going on in Donald Trump, and I'm going to start there for a second. But I'm going to start there and twin it with the liberal scandal right now on the RCMP. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm paying attention to what's going on in on these hearings, the January 6 hearings. It's not Canada, but I pay attention because it's like Watergate, right? It's consequential. The attempt to overthrow a legitimately elected government. That's really what it is. Donald Trump, the evidence is overwhelming that the President of the United States, Donald Trump, tried to delegitimize a legitimate election, even though his Attorney General, Bill Barr, And every other major figure told them, you can't do it. This was it. you lost. This is a lie. This is, to use Bill Barr's words, BS. Now, Trump supporters, things are so polarized, just talking about the facts, it's like you're anti this or anti that. But I want to talk about the tale of two realities, because let's just zoom out of our partisan bickering for a minute. I'm going to connect what's going on in Canada and I think the most significant scandal for the public safety, former public safety minister, Bill Blair, and the RCMP commissioner, and this is consequential. So this is Canada. The two realities are this. There is the growing reality, and I think democracies have to worry about this in as a metastasizing disease. That is eating away and eroding the very cellular structures of democracy, which is the disbelief in facts, the distrust and conspiracy minded theories that have become all too pervasive among tens of millions of people. And and there's reasons for it, but it's still wrong because facts matter. We have to adhere to some realities. You're entitled to an opinion, but you're not entitled to your own facts. And the facts around January 6th are very overwhelming. Look, everybody knows now Donald Trump was doing everything he can to undermine a legitimately elected Joe Biden. Whether you like Joe Biden or not, whether Joe Biden's a lousy president or not, is not what I'm talking about. Whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, doesn't matter. Whether you're right or left, it doesn't matter. One guy won, one guy lost. And then one guy, Donald Trump, overwhelmingly, and this has been clear, you can't look at the evidence in any nonpartisan way, this guy did everything he could to undermine the election, to try to overturn the election, to use um, legal loopholes that are illegitimate to do so, and he endangered the life of the vice president to do so. And whether or not, as we heard in testimony yesterday, the president of the United States actually tried to lunge at the wheel inside the beast, the secure vehicle where he was taken to drive to the Capitol, is irrelevant. It was secondhand testimony, probably weakened the testimony yesterday. That doesn't matter. The overwhelming body of evidence is factual. The guy tried to delegitimize a legitimate election. It's dangerous, it's terrible. And so but he's feeding into tens of millions of people who disbelieve in everything. They disbelieve in the science, of vaccines, they disbelieve that covid's a reality. That's the part of I'm not just talking about people who are concerned about vaccines. I'm talking about those people that think vaccines are part of some conspiracy of the World Economic Forum or George Soros or Bill Gates. This is crazy stuff. So on one side, you've got this conspiracy minded world that is growing and there's websites and there's media and there's politicians and they're propagating this dangerous perpetuating crap. Now, why is it? Well, there's lots of people who feel that society's not benefiting them. They're angry for lots of reasons. I'm not going to get into the causes, but we had a caller on this show yesterday. A guy called in and he said, Evan, I disbelieve, you know, he believes that the liberal government is controlling the police, and that they, the judges and the police do the bidding of the government, which is really not how democracies work. There's a there's a a very important separation between the independence of police and politicians. And I said, if you really believe that that's eroded, okay, but then our democracy is eroded. So once people think the whole system is corrupt, once you believe that everything's corrupt, the politicians are corrupt, the judges are corrupt, the scientists are corrupt, everybody's corrupt, then of course it doesn't matter what you do to try to overthrow it because you don't care about the system you're not trying to protect anything because the system is broken so that's the, so there on one side you've got that the antidote to that is you've got to make sure democracy works properly right and the problem is it's not and for those governments that are trying to say stop it you should trust us the system works i know it's messy but we've got checks and balances this is good you better make sure you go above and beyond and and this gets me to canada The Nova Scotia Mass Shooting Commission that's looking into the deaths of 22 people, the slaughter of 22 people, and the biggest mass shooting in Canada, a teacher, a pregnant woman, a, a police officer, has exposed some dramatic pieces of evidence. Superintendent Darren Campbell who wrote contemporaneous police notes saying that Brenda Lucky, the commissioner, allegedly said that she'd promised key information to the Minister of Public Safety, Bill Blair, and the Prime Minister's office about the perpetrator's weapon, and Campbell said he wouldn't release it. It would jeopardize. Now we learn via the Globe and Mail and and the the mass shooting that Brenda Lucky apparently, uh, according to Leah Scanlon, who was doing communications there for the RCMP, Leah Scanlon said that... um, Lucky informed us the pressures and conversations with Public Safety Minister Bill Blair, which we clearly understood was related to the upcoming gun legislation, the Liberals' gun legislation. And according to Scanlon, that Lucky was clearly under political pressure that she called appalling, inappropriate, unprofessional, and extremely belittling. Here's the problem. The Liberals, now you've got Leah Scanlon. And now you've got Superintendent Campbell with notes that have been uncovered that allege that the, the commission of the RCMP is being pressured. Now, I know Brenda Lucky keeps denying it and apologizing for her language, but she's in the hot seat. And I know that the liberals deny it and Bill Blair denies it. That may all be true. I don't know. But this rises to the threshold of an independent investigation, and the opposition is right to call for one. If you want people to believe in a system and not believe in conspiracies and not believe in these kind of unproven allegations, make sure the system works. And the only way it works is if it's transparent. If you decide that with this level of evidence that every single Canadian understands, when police officers are alleging the highest level of political pressure, political interference, which would be a form of corruption. And these are serious allegations from police officers in contemporaneous notes that some of them, which were held back from the mass committee uh, into the mass shooting. That is not transparent. And people will rightly distrust the system. The only antidote to distrust is trust. And the only way to get trust is through transparency. And the only way to get transparency is to have an independent investigation. This meets the threshold You cannot complain about conspiracy theories unless you do the opposite and open all the doors. We'll be right back.
0: Instant access to real people. Real stories. The Evan Solomon Show is on. The iHeartRadio Talk Network. Do you have to swear an oath to the queen to practice law in
1: some places? Well, in Alberta, you do. There's a young lawyer named Prabhjot Singh Wearing who says, I'm going to sue the law society because it violates my freedom of religion as a Sikh. And we wanted to know, what's the precedent for this? Is swearing an oath to the queen for this or citizenship ceremonies a violation? What's his point of view? Well, let's find out. Joining me now, Prabhjot Jot Singh, wearing a prospective lawyer in Edmonton. Uh, Mr. Wearing, first of all, good to have you on the program. Why are you suing the provincial government and the Law Society of Alberta? Uh, because you're supposed to swear an oath to the Queen to practice law.
2: Yeah, Evan, uh, thanks so much for having me. Um, so, just a, a little bit by way of background. Um, so, I graduated law school at the Schulich School of Law and at uh, Dalhousie University in Halifax. Um, So once you graduate law school, um, the next requirement is to to complete articling where you work with another lawyer. Um, uh, So I've completed that requirement almost. I have about two months left. Um, And so for the rest of my peers who have completed the the requirement, um, their next step would be to apply to the Law Society of Alberta to become full-fledged members and kind of go to their bar call ceremony. Um, So for me, the challenge that I'm facing uh, is that the provincial legislation actually has a provision that requires uh, an oath of allegiance to the Queen in order to become members of the law society. Uh, So for me, because of my religious beliefs, my religious practice, that's not something I'm able to do. Uh, So what we did is is we filed a constitutional challenge uh, against that provision uh, on June 9th. So that's before the court now, uh, and we're just waiting to hear back uh, from the government side to see what position they take.
1: Okay, so you're, you're Sikh, so you're a member of what's called the Khalsa, right? So, and, yeah, and exactly. just, so, so because there, we have obviously a very uh, big Sikh communities in, across Canada, why, why is this coming up now and, and what is it about the oath that violates um, um, the, your religious uh, belief?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, so just to kind of, uh, without diving into anything too philosophical or, or getting too much into theology or anything like that, um, so in the sixth faith, there's kind of, there's two kinds of practitioner uh, practitioners. So there's the regular sixth congregation, which we call the Sangat, um, which believe in the faith, believe in the values and practice in different ways, um, and then there's, uh, you know, a smaller portion within the community um, that um or move to join the the khalsa which means it was, so that kind of requires um you know a more uh stringent oath um to live by certain discipline and 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 code of conduct um so as a part of that process that initiation process uh we swear an oath of allegiance to a purakh to our creator um and a part of that is you know we can't swear that oath um, again, to somebody else with kind of reneging mm. the, the, the vows that I've already made. Um, so kind of uh, the best way, you know, it's, it's not a direct comparison, um, but, you know, joining the khalasa is almost similar to uh, maybe taking vows uh, to enter priesthood in Catholicism, or maybe taking vows to become a monk in the Buddhist tradition. Um, you know, not direct comparisons, but something a little bit comparable where, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a part of the community, it's a smaller segment, um, who have taken these kind of higher oaths or vows, mm. Um, to live, uh, you know, up to a, a, a you know a, a different kind of code of conduct and lifestyle.
1: So, so, Mr. Wearing, the I know there's other places where you don't, like in British Columbia, I think you don't have to swear an oath to become a lawyer. But, but, is there any precedent for this in, in, in Alberta, Ontario, Quebec, or, or or does every lawyer have to swear an oath to the Queen?
2: No, and and you know what, and and that's the funny thing about it. I think a lot of people kind of read the headline, and it's like, wow, look, you know, what is this guy doing? Um, But, you know, I'm not asking for anything super extraordinary. Uh, Alberta's actually one of the last major provinces that still has this requirement. Um, Ontario, British Columbia, Nova Scotia, a few others um, have actually gotten rid of the requirement or have made it optional um, for lawyers who are swearing the oath. Um, So, you know, the, the first kind of challenge that kind of came up in 1988... Uh, was an Indigenous articling student in Ontario, Patricia Montour, uh, who challenged the oath, and that's kind of what snowballed um, and when things started to change across the country. Um, so in 2022, all I'm really asking for is, is Alberta to really catch up um, hmm. and you know, ensure that the legal community and the bar is reflective of the diversity um, that we have in the province here. Mr. Wing,
1: we've seen, there's been cases of this, not just for lawyers, but in the citizenship oath. You know that, right? Um, yeah, and and yeah. because you're uh, just about to become a full-fledged lawyer after you finished articling, I was looking up some cases with some, uh, like the the McAteer versus Canada case, which was about a claimant arguing that the citizenship oath violates the freedom of conscious religion and freedom of expression under the Charter, as you know, but... Um, It was a just, the court ruled it was a justifiable limit. And the Ontario Court of Appeal said there was no violation of the Charter right of freedom because the oath is secular and is not an oath to the Queen in her personal capacity, but to our form of government of which the Queen is a symbol. That's what the court said. What do you make of that as one legal argument?
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. And you know, that, that's a good point. And it's an important one to kind of raise because um, it's important to kind of clarify that there's a important differences in, in my circumstance. Um, so, like you mentioned, so the, I believe the plaintiffs in that case. Um, had concerns with the queen as an individual, um, or as you know her role as you know in relation to the Anglican Church, um, and the court found that you know the the queen this, it's an it's a secular oath to the queen as head of state. Yes. Um, so for me, uh, it, it's it's not even necessarily about the queen or the monarchy. Uh, it's a question of taking an oath of allegiance. Um, so for me, you know, I, I strive to practice with integrity and honesty. Um, and so for me, because I've already taken that oath of allegiance to our Creator, um, and, you know, and, and what that requires is when I took that oath, it's for me to surrender my personal interests, my family, um, you know, my m- on basis of nationality or ethnicity and commit to this concept of Sravat Dapala, which means the, the welfare of everybody. Um, but but you're so still, I but I oath, just want,
1: Mr. Warr, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I, I just want our listeners to know that doesn't mean that you would not abide by the laws of Canada. This is a lot of folks, and I'm sure you're getting a lot of feedback, like, hey, You still have to, as a Canadian citizen, you have to abide by the laws. Uh, You can't just sort of opt out of the laws. Isn't that, is that fair to say?
2: I, I, absolutely and that, that's just what I, w- I was turning to right now is that all I'm asking for is to to make the oath of allegiance either optional or not a requirement anymore I would still happily take the barrister's oath um, that lawyers across the country do have to take right. um, which is a, 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 a pledge and a commitment to uphold the law practice with honesty and integrity uh, and upholding the public interest um, and that's the that's the oath that Lawyers across the country have to take mm-hmm. in Ontario, British Columbia, uh, and everywhere else. And so that's a commitment that I'm, I'm happy to make, and that all lawyers are expected across the country, across the board.
1: Are you getting what kind of reaction are
2: you getting? Are you getting anything negative? No, honestly, you know, uh, you, you never read the comment section uh, uh, ever on any article. Um, but the, over, the, the feedback is honestly been very overwhelmingly positive, very supportive. A lot of people reaching out to see, you know, how they can help me. A lot of young students and articling students reaching out and kind of sharing um, their own kind of conflict and anguish about the prospect of having to go through this as well, uh, including Indigenous students who have reached out mm. um, with similar concerns. So the response is overwhelmingly positive, positive. Uh, and you know, I, I am confident and hopeful. Um, you know, it's, it's a matter of time, but I, I am confident that we'll be able to get to some kind of resolution soon. And, and
1: just quickly, ratified. in this last second I've got, how quickly will you find out?
2: Uh, you know, the, the court system kind of has its own process. It's, it's kind of unpredictable, and it's hard to kind of pin, de- pin it down to a timeline. Uh, it could be months. It could be a year. It might be a little bit longer than that. Um, so I'm kind of I'm strapped in uh, for the ride, and, and mm. kind of we'll see how things go. Well,
1: I'll say this. You're about to become a lawyer, and you're right in the thick of it, which is... Uh, exactly what it's all about. Uh, Prabhjot Singh Weering. great to have you on the program. Fascinating. Um, and, and these are the the absolutely critical kind of debates uh, societies have to have. I love it. Uh, thank you, sir.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, Evan. I appreciate it.
1: So I want you to have the debate. So that's Prabhjot uh, Singh Weering. So he's suing on this. Now, many provinces make this optional. but I'd love to know what you think about this. He's coming at this from a legal argument. Now, he's not suggesting that he would not abide by the laws of the land. He's simply saying swearing an oath violates his freedom of religion. Now, there is no extension in the law, for those of you who think, oh, well, well this is it, we're going to have... A, different religious laws will start taking precedence because it violates your religious freedom. That's not how the law works, but 18556331010 or 71010. What's your view about swearing an oath to the queen next?
0: Strong views. Powerful opinions. The Evan Solomon Show continues on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Whenever you get
1: somebody saying, look, my religion prevents me from following a certain convention or rule in Canada, you get a big political debate. Look, it started in Quebec, but didn't start. It's continued in Quebec, with the secularism bill, where the state is protecting itself, they say, from the infringement of religion. And so you can't, for example, in Quebec, if you work in the public service, if you're a police officer or a judge, can't wear any overt religious, can't wear Yarmulke or a turban or a hijab, or you lose your job. So the, the conflict between secularism and the state and religion is big. And we just spoke to a young lawyer, Mr. Wearing, who has to, he's Sikh. And he's a certain uh, sect within the Sikh religion, a Khalsa. He's entered what's called the Khalsa, which is a more um, rigorous set of obligations. And he says his obligations uh, prevent him from swearing an oath to the queen. And he thinks it violates his, in the charter, it's called Section 2, your religious freedom rights. And there's lots of case law on this. And I'm asking you if that's the case and what you think of that. 1-855-633-1010, 1-855-633-1010, or 71010. Really, really interesting. Should people have to swear an oath of allegiance to the Queen? For example, in their citizenship ceremony, this has been a big one. Evan, freedom of religion has been defined as the right to entertain such religious beliefs. Let me just read some text here. If you want to be a lawyer, then you will do what is needed to be done according to Canadian law. That's my belief. My son wanted to become a policeman. He does not believe in God, but he had to say, so help me God, in order to become a policeman. He chose to say it and start to believe it because his mission was to help other people. Let me just go to that. That's That may be your view... But the you know people can challenge the law. There is lots of te- there is lots of case law to try to determine this because I'll give you an example. Section two in the Charter doesn't really define what's a religion, so there has to be cases what functions as a religious belief. But like can you say, wait, I've joined the um, Gray Moon Society and this is what I and you just made it up? Is that a religion? No, not according. There's actually definitions of it, how he becomes a Canadian citizen if he doesn't pledge an oath to the Queen. So this is interesting. There is a case where someone had challenged that in Ontario, and they said the oath to the Queen is the oath of her as a political symbol, not a religious one. But he was, I think he was born in Canada. Um, How can a religious oath coincide with a legal proceeding? We all know because it's legal, it doesn't mean it's moral. don't know what that means? You could challenge the law. I don't mind that. In fact, it's very important. Maybe he's not suited to be a Canadian lawyer. He should have chosen a different profession. Even though you have a longing to be something, it's not necessarily the right thing for you. What does that mean? Let me ask you. Why should he not, you know, do you believe in freedom of religion? I'll give you an example. Should you say to the Catholic Church then, well, you have to start marrying same-sex couples. That's the Canadian law. You can't discriminate. But we do have a reasonable limit and an exception, right? We have exceptions that religion, you don't want to violate religious freedom. And the courts have made different decisions on this to protect religious freedom. You have to respect a religion's practice. Like, for example, can you sue the Catholic Church because they won't make a woman a priest? No. No. Even though if you won't hire someone as a manager in your company because she's a woman, because you say, our, you know, for me in my business, I don't promote women to managerial positions. I only promote men. You'll get sued and you'll lose. But in the Catholic Church, if you say that, that's actually protected on freedom of religion. So the idea that he says, look, religion often runs up against secular laws is not that new. Jeff, what's
3: up? Yeah, um, so if you go to court as a witness and you have to be sworn in, uh, for people who don't want to swear on the Bible, you have what's called swearing by solemn affirmation. Yes. So you, you solemnly affirm what you're about to testify is the truth. So this person that had to become a cop that had to swear to God, I don't understand why he wasn't able to do something similar.
1: Well, he's actually becoming a lawyer, not a cop. Right, I, 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 becoming I, a lawyer. Yeah, I agree with you. Then that's his point. His point is, I can't swear an oath to someone else. I'm still going to uphold the law. And this is not that exceptional. Most other provinces have it. He just wants Alberta to catch up to exactly the kind of thing the oath or the solemn affirmation of allegiance, which is.
3: Please don't confuse Quebec secular law as something good. Uh, they're basically, because in the Catholic Church, it's easy. if you're a Catholic, you're wearing a cross. You can stick your cross under your shirt. It doesn't bother anybody. But every other religion that, ha- that wears something, it, yeah. it's too apparent. So yeah. this, is, this is being hidden as being secular, but it is a completely racist law.
1: I appreciate the call. You know where I stand. I, I'm, I, I think the reason that the Quebec government is using the notwithstanding clause is because they know it's a vi they know it's a violation of liberties, of freedom of, re- of section two, freedom of religion, and and that by forcing people not to sh- to be able to work in a profession, they know it's a violation, so they use the notwithstanding clause, the back door. Uh, and, and you're right, I you know my view on that is I, I have never understood that. I've spoken to um, Quebec politicians about it uh, a lot. Uh, Bruce from Lindsay, what's up?
4: Hi, Evan, thanks for having me on. No, I don't understand. This guy seems like a very young and educated man, and he went through a lot of university schooling to get to where he's at. Wouldn't he have realized that he had to do this oath to the Queen at one time? Maybe you should have thought of that before he pursued being a lawyer in Alberta.
1: Yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I, I think he did, but he wants to be a lawyer and he thinks there's an unfair barrier to entry that very few other provinces have. This is his this is his home and he's decided to make a change like, like what I like about here's what I like, which is if you think there's something unfair. Right. And this has happened throughout our history. Women said, you know what, we'd like the right to vote. And someone said, well, if you really wanted to run as a politician, didn't you think you should check if you have the right to, to, to be a politician? Well, you have to change those laws. So laws that that may be there that are infringing on someone's liberty ought to be challenged and the court will make decisions. So I like his individual determination to change something he thinks is unfair. Don't you? Like, wouldn't you do the same? That's how things change. We have the freedom to challenge things through law. What I like is that, for example, he's not saying, I don't like this. I'm going to, you know, burn something down or I'm going to illegally do something to the court. He's actually doing the right thing. He's challenging it through exactly the channels that a democracy has. He's making great arguments. Whether he wins or loses is up to the court. But isn't this exactly what we want in a democracy? You don't like it? There's an avenue to challenge it.
4: You do certainly make that point. You certainly changed my mind on my theory of what I just mentioned to you. Because, like I said, it's good for him to challenge you. I just, like I said, that's the only thing I was looking at is that, uh, unfortunately, he thought about that at the start. But, uh, like you said, it, it's good on him if he's going to challenge it. If it works out for him, uh, right. all the best.
1: And that's why I want in Canada. Like, this is what, and just stay on the line for a second, because I'm love. Look, I I don't know about you. Like, I like a little, I I don't think I can say this on radio, but I like a little S disturber. You know what I'm saying? Like people, individuals that don't follow, they're not sheep, they're individuals, they look at society through their own eyes, they're free, right? And, And if they don't like something because they think the government's wrong or the law, they'll challenge it. But they're challenging it in exactly what we want. Make your arguments. Take it to court. Go for it. Be smart about it. Make the change. But you know, if you don't want—I don't want this guy to throw a firebomb or burn something down. Then it's like that's garbage. That's chaos. I love that this guy's doing that. Isn't that what you and I kind of are defending all the time? That—that's, I guess, my point.
4: And it's true. Like I said, people got to realize too that we're a very multi-diverse. Our diversity in Canada is is, is huge here. And one of something good—good good on him. You certainly uh, changed my mind on my uh, first statement. Thank you, Evan.
1: Hey, I appreciate the call. Listen, that's a, I, I will say this. I love our debates um, and our conversations. not just debate, because I, you change my mind all the time, too. And, and it's its literally the thing I love about this program and, and our conversations. Let me take a break. I um, appreciate that. We'll be right back.
0: story to life it's Evan Solomon on the iHeartRadio talk network
1: I have more memories of fireworks and good memories Uh, with when I was a kid sitting on lawn chairs with the uh, my neighbors the latimers and the birds and the Solomons and we'd sit out and we do fireworks often in the birds backyard incredible. Then, you know, my brother loves them. My sister loves them. Sometimes at a lake. Now with my own kids, we used to uh, go to, uh, like we spent a week in Prince Edward County at this little farm and, and a bunch of families. And, and I love, so I, I'm just telling you where I come from. My view is I have unbelievably, I love fireworks. I love Canada Day fireworks. So I'm into this. And then Becca Amendola from King's University College and Fanshawe College students said, look, we should ban fireworks. And she wants to ban them in, in, in London, Ontario. And then she makes a really good case. And I told you before that sometimes on this program, you change your mind and you have to challenge yourself. And I'm like, oh, I love fireworks. But then I started reading about Becca and she's starting to make these really good points. And so I thought, OK, I got to bring her on and hear why we should cancel fireworks. Hi, Becca. Hi, how are you doing? I'm good. This is great because you're challenging, like, this is like my childhood. This is like my memories, but you're making some good points. So, lay it down. What is the case against fireworks? By the way, I will say this my wife is probably on your side, but go ahead.
5: Awesome. Well, I just want to say that I am also a huge fan of fireworks. I have always loved them, and I have seen more shows than I could possibly name. But as an environmentalist, I took some time to do some personal research about the impacts of fireworks, and I came to realize that the five, ten minutes of joy in a private show, or even even an hour of joy when it's a, a big show like what the city's talking about putting on, is just a brief period of joy for what is otherwise long-term harm to the environment and to our our local community. And so, so, so
1: what's the harm? Tell, tell us.
5: There's so many, it's actually quite scary. Uh, First and foremost, fireworks are founded on gunpowder. So they're they're gunpowder blowing up in the sky, but they they have a lot of different metals and toxins in order to make the pretty different colors and sparkles. And those metals never dissipate once they get into our environment. So we blow them up, we watch the cloud float away, it slowly dissipates down into the water, into our local uh, backyards. And people with breathing issues are breathing that in. They end up in the hospital quite a bit after large shows. People, um, infants and elderly, who are obviously not going to benefit from taking in toxins, are our um, local gardens will be taking that in. And the fact that the city always does it over the Thames River means that every single time they do a show, they're increasing the toxic metals on the, on the shores of that river, and it's never going down. It's never dissipating. It's always just getting worse.
1: So so okay, I'm speaking to Becca. Here's the thing: I understand, and I've read a bunch of this. So uh, I know, for example, when you need an explosion, you need to have an oxidizer, and you need something called a percolate, and they mm-hmm. can they are contaminants, right?
5: Yes, and yes,
1: exactly. I understand that. I guess my question is, um, like everything, you know, we're all complicit in a form of pollution all the time, right? Like we, 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 you know, you take a bus. Uh, you know we're making these trade offs all the time you know when you take a bus you're you're collectively or you drive a car you get on a plane it doesn't matter you go to a building you buy something with plastic in it you you know whatever it is That's so we're all, we have level, can... we have a level we have a level of complicity i guess the question is on the cost benefit is the damage from fireworks so bad that they ought to be banned i guess is the question
5: well, yes. So my thing is that I presented to the city that the reason for the ban is the same reason that they ban uh, cosmetic pesticides. The benefits uh, do not outweigh the harm. The fact of the matter is we can deal with particulate matter in our air raining down on us for upwards of a week after a full show. When you're at a show, the particulate matter intake that you breathe in is 49% higher than usual. That is incredibly harmful to people. And the big thing here is that, like I said, it's constant. It's always building. The, The toxins are getting in higher concentrations every time we have a show, which means we are costing future generations the beauty of our environment. And one of my biggest things is that I told council this last May. And I've also since been in communications with them about all of these environmental issues, as well as animals abandoning, like mothering birds abandon their young. Those young end up dying. Deers jump into busy streets. They wouldn't usually do that, but they're so terrified from the noises. And and as I mentioned on a CTV interview I did, lots of different situations of heart attacks happen. Animals have heart attacks. People have heart attacks. There's a lot of trauma from the noise.
1: Okay, so so I would say this. My dog does like Puddle freaks out at fireworks, hates them. Yeah, hides in the basement. I understand that. Um, but and I, and, I, and so, do you have documented data on on um, the impacts on wildlife, either instant deaths are, or debris left behind that hurts yep. them?
5: Yes, there there are countless um, easy to access, Googleable. Um, scientific studies that have been done in various different countries demonstrating the particulate matter issues, the wildlife issues, and the, the the human issues, the people that experience serious harm. Over 9,000 people per year end up in the emergency room just because of misuse of fireworks. In between 2005 and 2020, we had over 100 people die. Just because they didn't know what they were doing,
1: and so we. But, but that—that's different. That's not environmental. That's like people doing dumb things with fireworks, right?
5: That is people doing this. Yeah. So let, sure. let's. And so so let, let's
1: let's let's get rid of the dumb. Yes, if you're whole, if you're shooting a firecracker in someone's face, I get it. I understand that. But, <laughs> but let, let's. I just want to. Talk, I'm not banning fireworks because a bunch of yokels try to st- stick one in their face. I understand that. Yeah. Uh, but and I remember being a kid, and some some one kid on our block was shooting fireworks at us uh, like it was crazy. Oh I, I'm just, yeah, I rem- so but that's not like what we're talking about. It's you. the environment. Our,
5: our main cause is the environmental aspect. Right. That a lot of people are easily because we're in such a complicit society. They're like, well, but we've been doing it all this time. Why can't we keep going? And the fact of the matter is, because all this time we have been putting that partic- particulate matter into the environment and costing future generations this environment. We are putting that. That uh, those metals into the Thames River, which feeds directly into the Oneida Reserve and their water treatment plan hasn't worked in years. So the the council, by doing a show over the Thames uh, on Friday, they are knowingly sending toxic water to infants, elderly and anyone else living on the reserve.
1: So, and I've looked at some of these studies, there's a lot of studies. So your point is what, what's the alternative? Like, so no fireworks, then alternative. What? What's the alternative? We, we
5: don't want people to stop gathering. Canada Day is great. Please keep celebrating, keep coming together as a community. We need that in our life. But let's turn to alternatives. We've got drones as options. There's tons of beautiful drone shows out there these days, but there's also laser shows. We actually had the Hyde Park Business Improvement Association here in London do a laser show just a couple weekends ago. It was beautiful, and it was an excellent example of an alternative that we could consider.
1: Okay, but what if someone says, well, there's another back out there that says, well, you know, the batteries of drones are lithium batteries and the mining for lithium, and you're contributing to more environmental damage in the north from lithium. You're just displacing it. Uh, for your pleasure, and now you're wrecking it for bad. Do like, you know what I mean? Is, is there an endless yeah. no, source I do hear of damage? There
5: is a, a lot of issues, but we are in, improving our use of power on a regular basis. A lot of our intakes for uh, power are becoming renewable, and there are other options as well, such as like light shows that we do during the... Um, Christmas seasons where people can walk or drive through those lights. That's another option. There's there's okay. a, a lot of options if people. Okay. And I just got and ten care.
1: seconds here, Becca. So so, but London's going ahead so far. Um, okay, I show, think. Yeah.
5: But Collingwood uh, is doing a band. They are, Yeah, they have I, I saw that. Band.
1: Collingwood, Ontario. Uh, Becca yeah. Amendola is a Kings University College and Fanshawe College Hey, you are making. I love fireworks, Becca, but you are a compelling debater and have the science on your side. I got to take a break though. Wow.
0: You're listening to the iHeartRadio Talk Network, and this is The Evan Solomon Show.
1: Oh, you know, just a sewer line steak of politics to bite into, and that's why we have gathered at the good restaurant we call The War Room.
3: Let me be perfectly clear. Putting out misinformation. And
0: we hear that Misleading politics. What's really important here? Spreading it online. Unequivocally.
1: (laughs) The war room. Nothing to see here. No political interference just regarding the worst mass shooting in Canada. No, we have a lot. Zane Belgi, political campaign strategist, former partner at Northweather. He'd worked with uh, Calgary Mayor Nad Nenshi and uh, NDP Premier Rachel Notley. Tom Mulcair, CTV political analyst, former NDP leader, lawyer, now currently in his ponytail phase. G- Tim Powers, chairman of Summa Strategies, managing director of Abacus Data, and purveyor of all delicious beverages. Hi, gents.
3: Hello, hey, hello. <laughs>
1: This is, uh, um, I'm going to, to start with our the, our lawyer friend, uh, Tom Mulcair. Uh, and because, I, you know, I started the show today with this. Look, we're all watching the, the January 6th and all the conspiracy stuff. We're going, what can be done? Why do so many people believe in conspiracies? Because they distrust the government. And when the government right. then acts in a way that leads you to distrust them, you shouldn't be so baffled why people are abandoning their... F- in their fidelity to a kind of reason tom you know the, there are now thresholds here superintendent campbell's notes contemporaneous police notes that allege brenda yes. lucky says that yep. uh, she was pressured by the minister the, the prime minister's office and minister blair the public safety now you've yep. got another note um from leah scanlan who ran the rcmp who said it was inappropriate and she was def- now i know lucky denies it and i know blair denies it How does the Liberal government avoid an independent investigation here?
6: They cannot avoid an independent investigation. It will take place. And by the way, that's why I disagree with you very slightly with regard to Bill Blair, because he isn't denying it. You watch Bill Blair standing there, and he's an able guy. He's experienced. He stands on his feet, and he reads note after note. He doesn't answer any of the questions that are asked of him. And he's especially not going to outright deny it. Why? Why? Because he knows it's going to come back and haunt him, so he says things like, "Well, you know, it was in our program to have these new provisions with regard to gun control, and so it's consistent with our program." But you didn't actually answer the question: Did this take place? And he not answered the question. This is uh, no. To be, this fair, to be fair, the... I
1: just want to be fair. There, yes. I'm going to quote Bill, Bill Blair. Sure. There was no pressure brought to bear mm. and no interference with operational decisions. To the RCMP, June twenty second. I made no effort to pressure the RCMP to interfere in any way with their investigation. I gave no direction as to what information they should communicate. So I I think he's he's putting him down that he did nothing.
6: No, (laughs) I, I still disagree. Okay, because he's saying there was no pressure. So a simple phone call to Lucky saying we'd really like to have this information. That's not pressure. That's a request for information. So he's he's dancing all around the edges of this thing, and he's got plausible deniability with almost everything mm-hmm. that you just read there. Does it give the overall impression that he, in fact, is saying that they had nothing to do with it? Of course, that's the impression that he wants to leave you with. But at the end of the day, to go back to your initial recital, Evan, if it is, as is alleged in those police notes, which, for me, are very hard to question because you'd never... The, the real question is, why would anybody lie about that? And there doesn't seem to be any possible motive. So at this stage of the game, we are looking again at something resembling SNC-Lavalin, where Trudeau got banged out by the ethics commissioner for sticking his nose in the prosecutorial process with regard to that company, trying to reach in, trying to push his uh, attorney general Getting her, trying to get her to push down on the person who was responsible for public prosecutions and who was supposed to be a very neutral figure. The police are supposed to be neutral. But if this is true, we've got political interference and we have an attempt to use the police for mm-hmm. partisan political purposes. And that's really serious in our democracy.
1: Tim, let me bring you in. Um, uh, first of all, Lucky's not just on the hot seat, it's red hot right now. It's red as the red surge. You've got Bill Blair, there's smoke all around him despite the denials. Um and and, and I don't know about you, but in these circumstances politically, you expect a body to be tossed over the castle walls at some time. Uh what, what yep. do you what do you th- see happening here?
7: I I don't know how they get into next week without somebody going. Uh, I I mean, if there's a third memo, a third note, I mean, now and so people understand, too. Look, I did work with the RCMP rank and file for years, and it's important to understand the division, too, between the uniformed and the civilian, and Tom will know this from his experience with policing. They're not always enamored with each other. And when you have the lead civilian official on the communications come out and say, effectively, we're... Word for word, what Superintendent Campbell has said, that's more than a smoking gun. It's a a smoking howitzer pointed at them. One word on Blair, which I think is interesting, because I agree with uh, Tom. I don't think he's actually said, I did anything. He's the smoothest operator of the bunch here, because what was he before the chief of the metro toronto police force biggest police force in the country he knows what he thinks political pressure is and what it isn't he knows the language Mm -hmm. to skate he's more likely to survive this than anybody else he may actually think what he said whatever it may have been to brenda lucky wasn't the kind of pressure he would have received or because she's the commissioner of the rcmp she would have pushed back but all of that aside Somebody, something's got to give in the next few days, uh, or this government's going to be in deeper trouble.
1: Yeah, Zayn, weigh in on this. I just the idea that they can refuse an independent investigation with these level of accusations, even though trusting the RCMP's actions around this mass shooting, I get it. We should be skeptical. They screwed up on multiple levels and and, and in ways that cost lives. We all understand that. Nonetheless, doesn't this warrant an independent investigation?
8: Oh, and I think it will happen. You know, Tom's right. I, I, there they really can't do much to stop that independent investigation. They can probably skirt around the law and say, you know, listen, what we were doing was not pressure. It was just simply conversing. But at the end of the day, was it conversing? Was it pressure? It doesn't matter because it's politics. And in politics, conflation is what ends up happening, yeah. is that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the technical or the legal. Yeah, Bill Blair might keep his seat, might keep his job because he was on the right side of the legal definition of that question. But the politics of it arguably are just as damaging for the liberals because this speaks you know yesterday evan i was here at an event in calgary where jerry butts took the stage uh with ian brody talking about what is the the achilles heel of the liberals and he said it's been throughout time it'll happen again and we're seeing it now you know what it is arrogance. He underlined it. And this is an extension of that. It's an extension of that arrogance that the the liberals may feel. And it's kind of revelatory of a bit of their political strategy, which is that they hunt for moments in the zeitgeist, in the culture. They may have policy on the ready. They try to hunt for these moments. And then when you see them happen, Uvalde, for example, on, on guns as well, they launch with their own strategy, with their own policy, with their own announcement. And we're seeing a bit of that here. But at the end of the day, they're not going to be able to stop an investigation. And Bill Blair might be lucky because he has got that seasoned experience and he used the right words. But the damage to the Liberal Party might be the same. And let's not forget how important guns were for them as an issue to save their behinds in that last election. It was yeah. that Bill Blair ad and that moment with Justin Trudeau in the debate that really turned that O'Toole momentum. Hmm. So you can see the direct through line from the pressure point yep. of this incident to what the Liberals frankly got, i.e. government again. Uh, with their with their political pressure in some they ways, thought and they thought the investigation yep. on that.
1: This is when you know you're with a uh, a very smart analyst, where he's made you think the liberals have an inflation problem. Now they have a conflation problem. <laughs> I, I'm still trying to understand that. But but your your point, Zane, I think is a good one. And Tom, which is, and I and I know I got a minute that the liberals' problem is trying to look like a responsive government, and they often come off as an opportunistic one, and that bumbles them.
6: You know, great piece in yesterday's Globe and Mail by a guy named Richard French, a former Quebec uh, MNA and minister, just going through the litany of problems of the Liberal government of Justin Trudeau right now getting anything done. Paul Tellier, former clique clerk of the Privy council came up with an almost identical analysis yeah. recently saying look the wheels have fallen off this thing and trudeau you know at a time when people could not get a passport to travel to a family funeral he hopped on the plane said bye-bye suckers and i'm on my way oh i'm gonna go to kigali in rwanda and then i think i'm gonna go to germany to a nice resort in the mountains to have a, a meeting of the g7 and then i'll be off to uh, madrid for the nato meeting Bye. See you later. And Uh, this is like, this is Tofino times 10 that we're living right now with (laughs) this government.
1: Okay, hang on. Uh, We're going to take a break and then we're going to come back with more on the hot summer of Scandal.
0: Time in your car doesn't have to be time wasted. Join the evolution of talk radio. This is the Evan Solomon show on the iHeartRadio radio talk network. So welcome back to the
1: program. We're inside the war room with our three friends, amigos, Zane Valgy, Tim powers, and Tom Alcaire, who I so crudely cut off, although he did manage to make an absolutely <laughs> scintillating last point.
6: <laughs> I don't know how
1: you do it, yes. but I guess it's just for the question is, period.
6: This is t- Tofino times 10. Yeah, uh, Tofino times taking 10. off to, to this but, whole series of meetings like he did on the day that he had set aside, you know, for truth and reconciliation and recognizing the importance of uh, what the indigenous population of our country has gone through. And he hopped on a plane and left. And it's the same sort of feeling that, that a yeah. lot of people are starting to get about Mr. Trudeau, that he's unplugging from this stuff. Okay, so let me ask you, that, and
1: that sets the table at Tofino times 10, um, and, and I'll start with you, Zane. Uh, like, we're going into the summer season. Now, Now, yeah. it's usually barbecue season. Uh, the, yeah. the liberals may be barbecued on some of these scandals, and we'll find out. But what are the biggest challenges in your mind, first facing the liberals? And then, of course, there's a conservative leadership race that is feverishly going on. I mean... The only thing hotter than some parts of the Canada right now are Pierre Poilievre's Twitter feed. Every day he's got another thing on there. Uh, what are the biggest challenges facing each side? I'll start with you, Zane.
8: Uh, so for the Liberals, I mean, uh, it's it's their lack of storytelling and their lack of emotional storytelling. And, and you know, the issues facing Canadians right now aren't esoteric. They are not uh, bigger than life itself. They are life. They are the living through the summer. They are the cost of that gas for that road trip. And so everything the Liberals have tried to do thus far on the affordability crisis, which will find itself in a new but certainly similar lens this summer Uh, has not necessarily resonated, especially at an emotional core. And so the fact is, you know, despite its barbecue season, they can't look unplugged. They can't look like they're just putting their feet up while the rest of Canada decides whether they can put their feet up or they can afford to put their feet up for a week or two weeks this summer. So that's their biggest challenge. For the conservatives, you know, the question is, as the heat scorches outside, how scorched earth do they want to continue to be? And that's really forced at one person. How scorched earth does Pierre Polyev want to continue to be? Because if he thinks he has this in the bag, is he going to let up at all against this assault? Not against Justin Trudeau. We expected that. But against his own party, against his you know fellow candidates in the race, because that has not slowed down or stopped. And maybe, maybe, maybe he will take some stock a week off in July and say, am I doing the right thing for the long term future and the prospects of my electoral viability? Should I win this thing by going in this direction? And I suspect he'll, he'll, you know, drop that drink and come back a week later and continue doing it. But I really hope he introspects about what the long-term damage of his scorched earth strategy looks like to the future of his political prospects and the party he's trying to keep together.
1: Timmy, weighing in on both and, and uh, you know, and and refracting that last point through the, the Michelle Rempel-Garner, uh, mm-hmm. when I've never seen someone say no to becoming a premier in a way that was, you know, almost 3,000 words of no, which was... Um, you know look much of it on the public record but um you know you can i, I think i've been camping with smaller bonfires <laughs>
2: Uh,
7: uh, he, well, and uh, Zane's probably the one who's drinking if he thinks that Pierre is going to uh, change his tune at this point. He's not going to. I would like him to as well, Zane, but it's it's not going to happen. Uh, Michelle's essay about the UCP, which has been transposed in the National Conservative Party, is is active, uh, uh, accurate, and, and reflective. Uh, I mean, look, um, the Conservatives, it's strange that the Conservative leadership race ends on September. 10th. Because on September 11th, a day with its own infamy and horror, Conservative Party is going to have its own challenges uh, to figure out where to go from uh, after that. Because there's no way the tent is easily going to be put back together and people are just going to fall back in line. What that looks like, We'll see over uh, over the summer, but there's no sense Pierre's going to take his foot off the throttle. He's like Waldo; he's everywhere. Pierre Polyev at an airport today, had a passport uh, today, fanning flames of outrage. Brought to you by Pierre Polyev. On the Liberals, I would say this: um, the Prime Minister needs to make you know he, he needs to do the customary summer cabinet shuffle, but he's probably lucky if he would be able to find ten more Anita Anans. How about that, Minister? eh, thrown into the tough one of the toughest portfolios with some of the biggest challenges she's performed exceptionally well if her colleagues had some of her skill set they may have less trouble talking about omar al- omar al gabra marco yeah. mendicino normally a very good performer uh, melanie jolly the prime minister's got to think about if he is interested if he's still engaged what he needs to do to rebrand
1: tom you want to weigh in on the challenges uh, barbecue season challenges
6: well, I think that Mr. Trudeau has to get interested in the job or he's got to start preparing for the transition to Christia Freeland. And, and by the way, Christia Freeland, who is always sure-handed, when she gave an interview recently, and the only line she could share with Canadians, instead of empathy about the fact that it costs you 250 mm-hmm. bucks to put gas in your pickup truck, she said, you're right to be mad. I'm not sure that that's the best selling point that I've ever heard come out of a politician's mouth. So she's going to have to pick up her game as well. There is a sense of lassitude. They're just letting things go they've signed their deal with the NDP they figure they can coast for three years yes you can coast to a certain extent but if you give up on the art of governing and the liberals have always been very good at connecting with people about governing about saying this is what we're doing for you that we've got your back all that sort of stuff that's all gone out the window all of that good faith is is gone now and people just say we're stuck with this for another three years and that goes to your earlier point, Evan, about whether or not Poitiers is going to change his tune. I don't think he has to yet. He's got another year, year and a half where he can bang away on that drum. He knows that he's going to have to start changing his tune as he starts the slow glide path into the next election. And that'll have given him time to be Able to show a di- slightly different Pierre Poiliev because of course things like Bitcoin are, are going to be following him around like a casserole clanging behind your car. He's got stuff like that that he's going to be trailing. He's got to come up mm. with a new narrative, but I don't think he's going to become a softy overnight. He's a, he's a hard bitten guy and that's why they love yeah. him.
1: Yeah, I don't. Know. You know I, don't thing, know. I... I I don't know from an authentic, authenticity point of view if Pierre probably like if the heavy metal band can release the odd ballad. Maybe he does that. <laughs> uh, but, and and I, he probably is being told like, "Yeah, release Sarah, do the ballad." But I don't. I don't know if he does that.
0: Uh,
8: go ahead, Zane. I was just going to add, you know, one contrast that's emerging from this conversation that I think is quite fascinating and and we may not even acknowledge, perhaps subconsciously, is as the liberals look like they're dropping a few balls, and I've heard the word checked out, as they look checked out with this tremendous, incredible power that is government, you've got a guy standing on the other side telling you with incredible message discipline what I would do with the rudders of government. And I think that's it makes his message even more compelling in the summer. You know, I'm not naive enough to think that he's going to change too and i just hope he realizes the downstream effects but the contrast is powerful where the other folks don't even look like they're dropping balls but may look like they're checked out he's like i'm gonna take that privilege and i'm gonna do x y and z with it and he's got this incredible message discipline that seems to be penetrating quite quite strongly. and it's it's incredible
1: that sheree and brown are like silent like pierre man he he's got a a gift to, to have the spotlight just real quick can we i got two minutes uh does Chris you, Tom you said it and I'll go with Tim first cuz you're all this is technically uh, a question as political experts does if you think Trudeau may pass the reins as Tom said to Christopher Freeland what's her game does she have political we know she's smart uh but does she have political game
7: Tim <laughs> I don't know if she does. She certainly has a major empathy deficit. I mean, Tom gave you a very good example before. And when you watch Khrushchev Friedland perform, there's no doubt she's smart, but it's connection, authenticity. You may not like Polyev, you may not like anything that comes out of his mouth, but he does seem authentic. Khrushchev Friedland just can't radiate authenticity. She's got to find that if she wants to have a shot at being prime minister and retaining that job, should she win the... The liberal leadership.
6: Uh, I got I think thirty she, seconds each. I, th- time. I think she could. I think she could wind up playing Hillary Clinton to Pierre Poilievre's Donald Trump. Uh, yeah. I, I just think that she could be the person who could somehow, because I don't think that have otherwise has much of a chance. But if she's his adversary, then I think that he might have a chance. I I, I know that's a bit rough, but I, I honestly believe it's the case.
8: That's fascinating.
6: I, I, I think Freeland could
8: surprise us quite a bit. She's been put in a mold right now, deputy prime minister, finance minister. It's all about the analytic. It's all about the IQ over the EQ. I think there's a different element to her that I think will be pleasantly surprised if and when it becomes abundantly clear that she's running for that job.
1: Zane, you're going to be depressed today because the word of the day goes to Tom for lassitude. Sorry, I know you like the big words, but Tom didn't like inflation. Didn't like inflation. inflation was okay, but then Tom surged past like the Kentucky Derby with lassitude. Uh, Tim, Tom, and Zane. See, I'm always keeping score, guys. I'm always keeping score. All right, thanks. We'll be right back.
0: is key. This is Evan Solomon on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Last week I had the opportunity
1: to spend an hour with David Cohen or more, the U.S. Ambassador to Canada. Now the guy is a absolute Watergate nut. He reads about Watergate. He was showing me a new book on Watergate. And I asked him, what is the difference between Watergate and the January 6th commission's inquiry, because Watergate was riveting to the whole country. And why aren't people paying as much attention? Why is the evidence not connecting with Republicans, for example, in the same way that Watergate did? And he said, look, it's very different world. There's It's a country without uh, leaders, without shame. shame. Shame plays a huge role. But he said it's just, even to him, stunning, that the amount of evidence that we've heard has not, ma- which is significantly more than we ever heard at Watergate, has not kind of penetrated in a non partisan way. Larry Haas is a former White House count- official. He's the author and senior fellow at the American Foreign Policy Council. And what I'm trying to do is, is and Larry, welcome back to the program, I'm trying to figure out. What is significant and what is politics? Yesterday we saw a young former aide to the chief of staff, to the president, Mark Meadows, a woman named Cassidy Hutchison. She's now 25. She had testified at the January 6th commission. And um, what was the most significant testimony in your view?
3: I think it was this uh, sense of a president Truly being unhinged, out of control, both on January 6th when he grabbed the steering wheel of his limousine and uh, and then separately began to choke one of his Secret Service agents out of outrage that they would not take him to lead the the march down to the Capitol. Uh, as well as the fact that upon hearing that Attorney General, um, uh, the Attorney General had, Barr had said that there was no real evidence of significant fraud, that he took his lunch and threw it against the wall of his dining room. Uh, just this sense of, as I said, unhinged mint, uh, immaturity, Um, emotionally out of control, uh, infantile. I think it's that picture. And I do believe, by the way, and I hope we talk about this a little bit, I think it's beginning to to resonate in a way that earlier testimony uh, did not. There's a real sense down here in Washington that yesterday was really, really important.
1: Speaking of Larry Haas, former White House official, Larry, I'm going to press back against something you said, and I want your view on this. I thought Hutchison, uh, in some of her testimony where she had direct... Witnessing where she was looking, you know, when the president threw his lunch, dinner at the wall and she's clearing ketchup off the wall or she heard thoughts when he said she heard this when he said, turn off the mags. These are the devices to essentially the metal yes. detectors to let people have weapons come in. This to me was devastatingly, de- first of all, that he knew about it, that he was letting weapons in, they're not coming from, because she witnessed it, but but what you mentioned, I actually thought this weakens her, and and, and I want your view of this, because what had she said is she relayed a story that the Deputy White House Chief of Staff, Tony Ornato, told her about you know, the President was in the Beast, which is the, the car, and he lunged at the, uh, the bodyguard, Bobby Engel, and he refused. Listen to this.
5: The President... Reached up towards the front of the vehicle to grab at the steering wheel. Mr. Engel grabbed his arm. Said, sir, you need to take your hand off the steering
1: wheel. And then apparently she says she was relayed the story that he lunged towards Bobby Engel.
5: Listen. Mr. Trump then used his free hand to lunge towards Bobby Engel. And when Mr. Renato had recounted this story to me, he had motioned towards his clavicles.
1: Uh, You know know this better than me, but... This, was, this is secondhand testimony that has now been denied. Why, why is it as significant? If she didn't witness it, I think that weakens what
3: she's saying, no? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, of course, she did not witness it. Uh, but she did witness the fact that, that the president's lunch was all over the wall. You expect the people... Uh, around the president, the the former president and his small cadre of thugs and acolytes uh, to deny it. That's no different than in any scandal. But keep in mind, that core group now is becoming more and more isolated. It's this very small closing group. She has now basically put Mark Meadows, the chief of staff, Uh, at the center of knowing about and helping to facilitate criminal activity. And this is no different than any other scandal where investigators work their way up the chain and eventually peel more and more people off who decide that they will save their own skin rather than sacrifice their life to the boss, the boss being Donald Trump in this case. So I think yesterday was very significant. And frankly, if you watch the hearings, she was quintessentially believable. The fact that, that the people around Trump are denying it, I think, is really immaterial. I mean, when was the last time they had any credibility with regard to telling the truth about anything?
1: But what if they say we'll swear under oath that that didn't happen? We'll, we'll get a bodyguard. We'll get Angle to say he never lunged at me.
3: Well, that's quite a um, that, that that's quite a um, theoretical possibility. But until they do get somebody under oath right. to say that that did not happen, uh, I find her extremely credible. And, you know, we'll we'll see what happens in the coming days. But no one has come forward and said. Call me to testify. She's full of baloney. Hmm. No one has said that.
1: So, does this rot? Where, where does it go now? Like, like I mean, this keeps going. You you think this is having some material impact? Is it? Has it reached the threshold for criminal charges, or is it just still political?
3: Okay, so I think this is having an impact in a number of ways. Number one, on the political side. Uh, We are seeing now in focus groups something show up among Trump supporters that has been absent until recent days. And that is the fact that while people within the Trump orbit continue to support him, uh, more and more Trump supporters do not want him to run again. And I suspect that's because they see his increasing political vulnerability. They see the possibilities, which I think they're wise to see, in terms of Republicans taking back the White House in 2024. And they understand that uh, running someone again with the baggage that he is accumulating uh, puts their possibilities uh, for 2024 at great risk. So I think that even the Trumpsters... Are beginning to turn around on the question of would it be wise for us to run this mm. guy again? So that's number one. That's the political. I thing. just got. I got about uh, forty seconds two. here. Go. Um, I. Okay. Um, I think um, the committee is is putting enormous pressure on the Justice Department to bring criminal charges. I think that the evidence of criminal act- activity is is really you know, becoming more and more clear. And then finally, as I said earlier, I, I think we're going to see more and more of the Trump people peeled away as they begin to save themselves rather than save Donald Trump.
1: It is, fa- I will say, it is among the most riveting inquiry I've watched. Uh, and, and, and I think it's, in some it. it the allegations worse than watergate uh larry haas former white house official author uh thank you sir larry always a pleasure to get your perspective i really appreciate it folks we're back we got a great segment coming up stay with us
0: Strong views. Powerful opinions. The Evan Solomon Show continues on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Well, the calls went bonkers.
1: I love I love our debates. Earlier in the show, because Canada Day is coming, we wanted to talk about fireworks. I, I love fireworks. I'm looking forward to fireworks. My brother and sister and I always buy a lot of fireworks We love them as kids. Our kids love them. I love going to fireworks. I love fireworks. Okay? I love... My wife, not so much. But then I spoke to Becca Amendola. She's a King's University College and Fanshawe College student. She said, hey, I like them too, but they suck. They have particulate matter. They're polluting. They use metals for all those colors you like. They leave a whole mess environmentally for wildlife and you got to stop doing it I was like, oh come on we can't even have like an hour of 20 minutes of fireworks anymore but you know me i'm listen you got to challenge your yourself and figure it out so what do you think is it time to ban fireworks like some places have done because like the science is overwhelming but i can't we just 1-855-633-1010 or seven ten ten. You know, I love this program because sometimes you change your mind on this show. And and I am all in on fireworks. I will be going to fireworks, but now it's gonna be like, oh my, I know it's bad, but so everything's bad. You buy plastic, it's bad. I get it. But can't we like, do we just have to accept some? And Becca's like, no. Now, our text board blew up. One eight five five six three three ten ten 633 1010 or 71010. Earlier in the show, uh, here's what Amendola said. She said, listen
5: to this. And I came to realize that the five, ten minutes of joy in a private show or even, even an hour of joy when it's a, a big show like what the city's talking about putting on is just a brief period of joy for what is otherwise long-term harm to the environment and to our, our local community. So she's going to say there's like metals, there's
1: toxins, the metals never dissipate. He, 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 and I said, well, don't, is it that bad? And she said this.
5: The benefits uh, do not outweigh the harm. The fact of the matter is we can deal with particulate matter in our air raining down on us for upwards of a week after a full show. When you're at a show, the particulate matter intake that you breathe in is 49% higher than usual. That is incredibly harmful to people.
1: Ban fireworks. Are we doing that? Apparently. Apparently, we are. Evan, I have the same memories as you. They were great, but it's not like that anymore. They're not the same fireworks. Very loud, huge things now. Not the Baker's Dozen, the Sparklers, the Burning School. Ah, the Burning Schoolhouse. The little worms. Because of what I see in our neighborhood, they are like commercial fireworks. I say, down with fireworks, says Ellen. Oh, Ellen. First of all, Ellen, I like that you name-checked the Burning Schoolhouse. Love that. That's it, environmentalist. Take the joy out of everything. How many plane rides has this lady taken? Does she drive a car? Walk the walk. Cheers, Terry Calgary. Hey, Terry. Yeah, I mean, Terry, I will say this. We're all implicated. We all live in a glass house. An environmentalist is also complicit. I understand that. But it doesn't mean we should therefore never change. So I'm torn about this stuff because I'm complicit like everybody else. I'm no angel. Like, you know, we're all doing it. We're all benefiting from fossil fuels in a lot of ways. But does that mean we shouldn't try to cut down, moderate? I just don't know if, if if, if, of all the things to moderate, at this moment, do we need fireworks? But she, Becca makes a great point. Absolutely against fireworks. By the way, I don't know if I'm, am, am I am I missing the uh, caller stuff here? Tell, tell me uh, if I'm missing the callers, guys. Uh one eight five five six three three ten ten or 710-1010 because our, our phone's like we're blowing up before as my text board is blowing up. Absolutely against fireworks. They're horrible for my for my dog's ears and for my ears. We've had fireworks uh, aimed over my head all in the park near my house. Oh, yeah. My dog hates them, too. Uh, John in Montreal, what's up? Evan, we have
4: fireworks competition in Montreal. Every Wednesday and every Saturday all the way to August, they close the Jakarta bridge. They let the people go up there and stand around and watch. Not only that, they have designated smoking areas.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, what's it called? I've been, I've been to that, that thing. thing. What's it called? It was like the uh, the the what's it called? The, the the Symphony of Fire or something? Yeah, it, yeah. Every every we every week uh, you have two. I love those. From I love those. Countries, you know? What do you make? So, what do you make of it when you know baby birds die? Wonderful. Okay, what? Like, I get. I'm with you. But now that you know there's metals and particulates and birds die and people freak out, does it matter?
4: Not at all. If you let the environment take over, we'll have no fun at all. All
1: right. I appreciate that. Uh, I mean, I hate that we're always pitting things again. Debbie, what's up? Help me out here, Debbie. Help me out. Deb, what what do you you got?
5: I think that we should ban the private use ones and charge a fee for the public, like for municipalities. So that it's an environmental fee where we're we're paying for the cleanup, and that way we still get to experience the fireworks. But I do agree. Like I've had neighbor, I've lived in uh, localities where there is refuse left behind, yeah. and you're finding it for months.
1: Deb, I can see the politics of that fireworks tax. Oh my God, a fire! But actually, you're right. Like in a good economy, like a pure economy, everything's charged, right? You want to value everything. That that's actually a conservative principle. But I can see people freaking out about the fireworks tax. Uh, th- can you imagine? It's like Debbie and her fireworks tax. Uh, Thanks, Deb. Enjoy, Ken. <laughs> like, can you imagine? You're like, what? I just, I'm just trying to be practical, and you're like, you're a gatekeeper. Uh, Justin in Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on, Justin?
9: Hey, Evan. Yeah, I, you know what? I, I, I kind of get what you're saying. I, um, I, I, I'm a big fan of fireworks myself, but uh, having listened to the guest that you had on, um, made some pretty good points. I think ultimately, at the end of the day, as long as you can recognize that there is always room for improvement, and I think a, a strong mind is a mind that can be changed and can acknowledge that there are some things to look at in a different ways. But at the same time, don't drive yourself crazy trying to, you know, fix everything. Just recognize that there's small things you can do here and there, and I think that's really how we have the best. Impact.
1: So what are you gonna do? So so that I told, I love where you're coming from, um, the kind of the moderation. Don't freak out. Nobody's perfect, and people that people that think they're perfect aren't, and, and 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 people are gonna make different choices. But would you go to a fireworks display? Would you buy fireworks this year?
9: You know what? I wouldn't buy fireworks. I mean, so where I live, they they, are, they kind of go up all the time. It's, it's basically impossible for me not to see them. So, I mean, I'll, I'm sure I'll look at them, but I wouldn't really be actively participating in, in getting any of my own.
1: I am now torn because I love
9: buying fireworks.
1: I love doing
9: it. Oh, man.
1: I'm really – because here's the great thing. Becca has kind of put me in a mind, and I hope it doesn't mean that Canada Day and Fireworks Days are joyless because I love these things. But she's not wrong. Like, you can't deny what she's saying. And so now maybe you're right. Maybe this is about raising your awareness and maybe you moderate some. I don't know.
0: Ah, Becca
1: and your facts. You know, I always say, oh, I I follow the facts. And then Becca delivers some facts and it challenges something that I really like. And now I'm all, "Ah." good old Becca. That's probably the, that's, you know, that's life, right? Like you really want to do something and someone presents you an argument and it's like, that's really good. I think I'm just going to either have to ignore your facts and be a total hypocrite and just go for it or just be like, okay, point taken and, and basically be a little more joyless. Anyway, listen, whatever you're doing, enjoy it. Uh, At least we got the facts and you can make your own decisions. I love our discussions uh, and I'll see you all tomorrow.